Mark 10, 46 through 52, the close of the chapter. God's word from the New Testament. Give your attention to the reading of it. Mark 10, beginning in 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. As far as the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Let's pray. So what is your life? To what can you compare it? Well, life is a road. It's a journey down the streets and paths of this world. And this concept or metaphor for life is a common one. Poets rhyme about the forks and the dead-in alleyways. Musicians harmonize that life is a highway and how cool it is to wear your sunglasses at night. Of course, we find this metaphor not just among writers and artists, but it also has a rich heritage in Scripture. Israel's life was a trek from Sinai to Zion. Obedience is about walking in the Lord's path. In Proverbs, the wise instruction of mom and dad warn us not to turn to the right or to the left. And for our Lord, entering the kingdom is the narrow way. Well, Mark picks up on this regular image to exhibit how good it is for us not to be in the driver's seat, but to follow in the very steps of our Savior Christ. So, speaking of roads, Jesus has been on a long one to Jerusalem. Ever since chapter 8, the Lord has been making his way slowly to the holy city. And this whole time, he has been trying to get his disciples to read the road sign, which said, Cross Avenue. The path that he tread is the way of the cross. But as we have seen, the disciples seem to be illiterate or speaking another language. They insist that the sign says the way of glory. Jesus said impossible, and they heard, we can do it, we have done it. Our Lord acted out being the last servant, but the apostles think that it's a competitive tournament with rankings and prize money. The twelve have been so infuriatingly slow, it feels like you're watching an old episode of the Three Stooges, except it isn't funny you half wonder if they have impacted earwax or need glasses. Can they perceive anything that Jesus communicates to them? Well, as they cruise down Cross 101, they now come to the ancient city of Jericho, which is the last sizable town before Jerusalem. In fact, Jericho is only 15 miles from Jerusalem, and at a four-mile gate, This means that there are less than four hours of hiking left. 
So as you know, each city has its own character and history. And Jericho was the first city to fall to Joshua when he conquered the promised land. Well, Jesus and Joshua share the same name. Thus, the new and greater Joshua is approaching Jericho. Will its walls fall once again? Yet the other significant moment in Jericho's history was when Elisha came and cured the waters from bitter and poisonous to sweet and life-giving. As the true Elisha, will Jesus heal the curses that lie in Jericho? Well, our Lord is known for rewalking the paths of the Old Testament, so our anticipation is pricked. Though as soon as our hopes are raised, they are let down as Jesus passes right through the city. He stays on the freeway and doesn't even exit for a coffee. They enter and exit Jericho without any further ado. Yet just as Jesus' crowd is passing through the city gate, we walk past a beggar. Now, this is nothing unusual as beggars line the streets of ancient towns, especially at the city gates where there was the most traffic. This beggar is about as noticeable as a parking meter. Mark, though, does give us his name, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Though this is actually only his last name, as Bartimaeus is merely the Aramaic pronunciation of the Greek son of Timaeus. Either way, Bartimaeus is not just a beggar, but he's blind. And being blind back in the day, about all you could do was beg. You would spread out your garment on the ground and tap your tin cup, a penny for the poor, please. And in addition to the economic hardship of being blind, there was the spiritual plight. For the common assumption was that if you ended up handicapped, something went wrong. Did Bartimaeus sin? Maybe his affliction is due to the sin of his parents. I mean, if you're blind, God had cursed you for some reason. Blindness was also a blemish that prevented priests from serving in the temple and disqualified animals from being pure sacrifices. Bartimaeus is defective and stained, unfit for the holy things of worship. And all these anxieties and insecurities would have plagued Bartimaeus. The passers-by would have tormented him with such spiritual afflictions. His own mind would have depressed him with such doubts. Though from the Old Testament, we can say one sure thing about his blindness and that it was one of the plights of exile. In Isaiah, the exiles of God were fraught with lame legs, deaf ears, and unseeing eyes, literally and spiritually. Ills and handicaps infected the Hebrews underneath the burden of God's exile. Therefore, Isaiah regularly prophesied that the servant of the Lord, the Messiah figure, would heal the physical and spiritual abnormalities and defects of the people in his second exodus salvation. The blindness of Bartimaeus lays him under the plight of exile, and his only hope lies in God's Messiah. But short of this, his only lot is to sit by the road and beg for his bread. Now, sure, some people were likely really nice to him, but others were probably unimaginably cruel. 
Instead of coin, they probably threw at him spit and rocks, hateful insults, and things fouler yet. Though bitter still were those who didn't even acknowledge his presence. They would step over him like a dead cat. Such was the life of sitting roadside. Oh, the sad stories that Bartimaeus could tell. But on this day, as just another noisy crowd bustles by, something's different. His eyes may be dead, but his ears are part canine. Bartimaeus hears the name Jesus of Nazareth. This is all he catches, just the name of Jesus, but it's all he needs for him to start crying out. Yet what does it mean for Bartimaeus to react merely to Jesus' name? Well, it means he knows our Lord's reputation. He's heard the rumors of Jesus banishing demons, raising the dead, curing the deaf, feeding the 5,000, have all made it to Bartimaeus. He listened to the news reports about our Lord's preaching and his kingdom message. In short, he has heard the gospel of Jesus, the truth about his person and work. Bartimaeus Bartimaeus hasn't seen any of our Lord's wonders. He's only heard of them. Hence, Bartimaeus' reaction here is fueled by faith in hearing the word. His response is holy from hearing. And what a response, for Bartimaeus begins crying out loudly, Son of David, pity me. Have mercy on me, O son of David. For him to address Jesus as the son of David is for him to call him the Messiah. Yeah, Bartimaeus addresses our Lord with a messianic title. The son of David was the branch of Jesse, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the king of righteousness. The servant of the Lord figure from Isaiah, who was spirit anointed, God's beloved one, a light to the nations, and the redeemer of Israel. He was the son of David. Bartimaeus then knows his Old Testament well, and he combines his understanding of the Old Testament with his knowledge of Jesus. And this is the best kind of insightful faith, which can take God's Old Testament word and identify it with the ministry of Jesus. Isaiah said this, Jesus did that, they're one and the same, and so Jesus is the son of David, the promised Messiah. Bartimaeus' spiritual IQ is well over 140, and his perception only goes deeper. In addition to calling Jesus the son of David, he pleads for mercy. Pity me. Show me mercy. To plead for mercy comes from a place of unworthiness, of humble need. Mercy is shown to those who are undeserving, even more so, who deserve something painful. Sinners deserve wrath and punishment. But instead of feeding them with judgment, mercy spares them. To call for mercy, cast yourself on the Lord's pity and grace. To ask for mercy is to come empty-handed, stained, and worthless to God. And what a contrast this is with the disciples. Peter declared, we did it. We left it all for you, Jesus. James and John said, give us seats of honor as we deserve. 
The disciples chased away the kids as too insignificant to be bothered with. But here is this blind beggar who has no experience with Jesus except of hearing rumors about him, and he cast himself upon the mercy of God in Christ. He does not presume to be something, for he knows he's nothing. But he does know that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament, promised Messiah, and that he is able to do the work of God. This blind man has way better vision than the seeing disciples. They lived with Jesus. They saw his every wonder, heard all his sermons, but they still struggled to see him as the merciful Messiah of Isaiah. And yet, here is Mr. Nobody Beggar, gets a wind of Jesus' name, and he has clear eyes and a full heart of faith. Though not everyone can appreciate the insight of Bartimaeus. As he makes a commotion, people start to shush him. Zip it. Stop being so loud. The people are offended by the rudeness of this beggar. How dare he make himself heard? Everyone has a place, and the beggar's place is to be seen and not heard. Just sit by the road and be quiet. You're part of the background. You'll get your pennies, but just stay part of the background. This is the cold cruelty of almsgiving, the charity that tosses the dollar, that gives the handout, and writes the check. But the poor better stay in their place, unheard and alone. And they had for sure better not interrupt polite society. And Mark keeps ambiguous here who's silencing Bartimaeus. He just says many people, which means the apostles might have been part of them. They have done stuff like this before. The disciples may be roughhousing Bartimaeus along with the crowds. But it makes no difference, for this beggar will not be put in his place. His faith becomes belligerent. He cranks up his amp and he blasts his volume, Son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus' need is too deep. The window of his salvation is closing too quickly. He has no time to be polite to wait his turn in line. He is a dead man drowning, and his faith kicks in to survival mode. And it works. At the loud crowing of Bartimaeus, Jesus stops. Our Lord pauses on his way to the cross. Very little has slowed Jesus down on his road to Jerusalem, but he stops for Bartimaeus even summons him, have this beggar come to me. And with this, there's a rather drastic change in the crowd. The mean hushes become encouragements now. They say, take heart, get up, he's calling you. Now, the reason for such an about face is unclear. Maybe these are the nice people in the crowd as opposed to the bullies. Or maybe the gatekeepers quickly shifted to become brown nosers. Either way, Bartimaeus doesn't need the encouragement, for as soon as he hears our Lord's summons, he flies. He tosses aside his garment, leaps like a deer, and bounds towards Jesus. His eyes are broken, but there's nothing wrong with his legs. This blind man blunders through the crowd. Now, this throwing aside his garment 
does not mean he's in his birthday suit. No, besides wearing a basic tunic, the garment was the heavier outer cloak. It kept him warm at night. It was what he slept in. And as a beggar, the garment is likely Barnabas's only possession worth anything. This cloak was his house and livelihood all in one. The garment may have also had a few coins that he mooched that day. For him to cast this aside is for him to leave all he has. To trash his cloak, the very cloak off his back, Bartimaeus left more than Peter and James put together. This is Bartimaeus making a break from his past for a new future. He's forsaking everything, small though it is, to come to Jesus. The faith of Bartimaeus bounds forth with zeal and hope, with excitement and joy, and by leaving all he has in the rearview mirror. And once he reaches uh, our Lord, our Lord makes him a, a, a grand offer. He says, what do you want me to do for you? He opens the line for a prayer request. Jesus answers the phone call of this beggar. How may I help you? Our Lord stands ready and willing to be merciful. Faith rightly called him the son of David, and so our Lord is found when sought. And Bartimaeus continues to show the fitness of his faith. First, he addresses our Savior as literally Rabuni here. He does not use the short form rabbi, but he takes the time for another syllable, the long pronunciation Rabuni, which more literally means my Lord, my master. He calls the son of David, my Lord. Jesus is not just some great figure. He isn't a random teacher or some wonder worker. But Jesus is Bartimaeus' own Lord and Messiah. My Lord, please let me recover my sight. Let my dead eyes live. May these useless orbs take in color and light. Now, to ask for his sight may seem like a bland physical band-aid. Heal my body. Not much spiritual insight in this. But remember Bartimaeus' scriptural perception that he showed earlier. He named Jesus son of David. He pled for mercy. He recognized our Lord as the promised Messiah of the Isaiah promises and understood his plight as that of exile. Well, in Isaiah, to see the Lord is one of the most common metaphors for salvation. Physically and spiritually, Israel was blind in exile, and the Lord brings them home to see his salvation. Moreover, the servant of the Lord in Isaiah 61 and in Isaiah 35 came to open the ears of the deaf and give sight to the blind. Thus, Bartimaeus asks according to the promises of Isaiah. He says, Jesus, may you grant me the redemption you came to deliver as the messianic son of David. The spiritual insight of his faith peers even deeper into the truth of God. And what a contrast this is, again, with the, the apostles. The question Jesus puts to Bartimaeus here is the same one he just asked James and John a few verses earlier. What do you want for me to, or me to do for you? 
And the boys of Zebedee said, seats of, in, in your, seats of glory in your kingdom, please. The brothers who had touched Jesus, who had heard him, listened to all his private lessons, answered, we're good enough, show us the glory. But here is this blind beggar living off of rumors of the gospel, seeing what the disciples cannot see right in front of them. He understands his need for mercy as one who is unworthy. And his insight connects the Old Testament promises to the ministry of Jesus, and his faith cries out, My Lord. Bartimaeus may be the one with the handicap, but in his blindness, he can see better than the able-bodied disciples. In short, we see that faith has better eyesight than our eyes. That when it comes to, it comes to seeing Jesus, faith does what our eyes cannot do. Therefore, our Lord confirms the faith of Bartimaeus. Again, he says literally, your faith has saved you. Our Lord bestows salvation on this beggar, body and soul. And in the speaking of Jesus, so it is done. Bartimaeus is saved. And the means by which this redemption came to him was through faith. It was not by works, for Bartimaeus had done nothing. Truth be told, mooching on the roadside likely made him an unsavory character. If you're reduced to bumming, then pilfering and swiping are not beyond you. He rightly called for mercy because he not only did not have any merit, but he was in a state of demerit. Wrath was the cup for him, and so in humility, he looked to Jesus for mercy. Thus, by faith, Bartimus is justified, redeemed, and saved. The rumor of the gospel created faith in him, and by trusting in Christ, our Lord saved him to the uttermost. But this is not all that Jesus bestows on this blind man. Note what he does next. Jesus says, go, you are saved. Depart in peace. And Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus goes but he does so by following Jesus down the road. To get behind Jesus on his road is the epitome of a disciple. This is the proper and natural response of becoming a child of God. Our Lord is on the highway to the cross, and Bartimaeus happily skips behind him. He cast off the old garments of being a blind beggar, and he prances into his new future, and life with Jesus Christ. Therefore, Mark exhibits for us brightly in Bartimaeus both the faith by which we are saved and the faith in which we walk as Christ's disciples. And this is especially helpful for us who have never seen Jesus. We are not the apostles who walked with Jesus on the earth. We are not the women disciples who followed and provided for Jesus and the Twelve. Instead, we live by faith alone, saved by faith, and are disciples by faith. And so the spiritual insight of Bartimaeus is a light for us. One, we need to understand the Old Testament promises of the Messiah. 
to this Old Testament knowledge is to be paired and fulfilled in the earthly ministry of Jesus. Third, we humble ourselves to fall on mercy. We are those with the status of demerit. We deserve wrath and judgment, and our only hope lies in the sovereign pity of God in Christ. Fourth, we leap toward our Savior, crying, Rabuni, my Lord, my Master. And then in faith, we begin the hike of the cross on the road of Jesus. We forsake all other hopes and idols to follow Christ alone. Indeed, Bartimaeus started this episode as a blind beggar sitting by the road, an invisible feature of this sad and sinful world. But this scene closed with him bouncing down the road, following Jesus wherever he may lead. And this is what the Father's mercy does for you in Christ, beloved. He takes you from being dead on the roadside to walking and skipping behind your Savior. Thus, may the Lord give us the same eyes of faith by the hearing of the word. May we trust in Christ alone for salvation, and may we ever follow faithfully on the road of Christ. Yes, the path of the cross, as we bear our own crosses, is littered with sufferings. But at the end of the day, there is no greater joy and honor other than servants being made like their master in life and in death and forevermore. For Jesus died to become like us so that he could make us to become like him in glorified and resurrected bodies forever. And may he hasten that day.